0: Stand by for a start.
1: Locked away. Gangs are
0: back in are racing. G'day everyone. Today on At the Track with Osha, we are delighted to be able to bring you Mitchell Bloodstock. Uh, James Mitchell, and one of my, in a sense, persons I used to definitely look up to, still do, and used to be in awe of the big Billy Mitchell. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Wade. Yeah, thank you, Wade. Look, uh, as I said, it's, it's definitely an honour for me to uh, interview your dad, Jimmy, uh, because I used to – never forget the horse, Dignity Dancer. Mm. I, uh, I think I was going to college at the time, which I was basically just getting – I'll study payments and not going to college, but <laughs> I remember I snuck into the, uh, the TAB to watch the great Dignity Dancer win the uh, Australian Guineas with uh, the Ring-a-Ding-Ding Pumper the King. Um, Billy, how – I suppose we start. Let's talk about the history of, uh, of obviously yourself um, coming across here when you're 11 years of age with the family and setting up station at Yarraman. Talk a little bit about that and then more so how you uh, got into the game at 21 um, on a more professional basis, saying this is going to be my career.
1: Well, you my whole family moved out that was my parents and, the, and uh, Arthur, Harry, and I. I was 11. Um, it's it's been well documented. We moved from Norfolk in England to, uh, to Scone, to Araman Park. Um, that was at the end of 1968, so we have been here for 55 years, I think. Um, and uh, went to school. After school, didn't really know what I was going to do. Worked in a stock and station agency for a while and wasn't really... Um, sure where I was, you know, didn't have any plans. and I, I just happened to go to England when I was 21 and needed a job and got a job in a racing stable over there. And I I knew enough about horses, but I didn't know anything about racing or r- about the actual running of a racing stable and the understanding of training racehorses. So I spent a season there and then came back and worked for Neville Begg and went to America, worked for Neil Drysdale um, for a couple of years there and came back and had to make a decision, do I start on my own or do I sort of look for another job? And I was pretty keen on the horse training at, at that point in my life when I was about 25 years old. So I set up shop at Warwick Farm and was there for five years, got married, um, moved to Ranwick. and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get a couple of good horses early on in my career. So um, Liverstone Lane and From the Planet really... Got me rolling. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Pretty two pretty good geldings who raced till they were seven and and you know you need those horses. Any young trainer needs a, a horse to take you to the carnivals and put put your name up up there in front of people. So that all that's how it went, and um, there was a lot of nice horses along the way in my twenty five year training career. Yeah. Right.
0: It's. I mean, look, some of the horses are household names. I said them before. Digny Dancer. General Nadine, one of the better stains that uh, Australia produced, and and one of the better broodmare um, size that uh, went around. This show is all about how to identify a Group One winner. I uh, we spoke earlier, but General Nadim, he passed in as a yearling uh, for twenty thousand. What did everyone miss, and what was his attribute outside of speed that he had when you had him as you know when you were training him?
1: Well, we were just lucky enough to to have him walk into the stable. Um, the owners um, found. Brisbane stable and and um, in the horse went with Peter Moody running the stable up there, so that was a stroke of luck really. Um, and uh, from day one, he he could really you know he had a beautiful action, never went shinsaw, never had a you never even grew a winter coat. He was an amazing horse yeah, and and brilliantly fast. Uh, possibly a little unlucky not to win a slipper as well as the lightning and the new market magic million that he did win um and he went on to be a very good stallion yeah very good stallion and uh, pretty much right from the get-go he was he was you know through plenty of winners and some pretty good horses and and i think the speed was the essence he was such a fast horse he injected speed into his progeny and and his, uh, his daughters have done that as broodmares and I think people still like to see Jen on the DM on the page.
0: The reason why you're sort of a, a definitely a person I look up to, Bill, is that you, you did it on – you've done it on all facets. So as a trainer of 11-time group winning trainer, uh, you've bought and sold group on winners uh, and you have set up a, a broomer band that's, um, that is pretty much part of your legacy in terms of Seginho. Um, What do you look for in, in all facets? So say a weanling – a yearling, and then obviously a broom air. How do you get all those together that makes um, a Group One winner or a Group One winning uh, legacy that's going to come on?
1: It's uh, I'm not sure. There's just any any one recipe. Uh, different people see different things in yearlings. You've got to have some understanding of of what a foal's going to look like a year later and two years later. And and um, I think if you if you stay within the guidelines and don't do anything too radical, a percentage of the time you'll get it right and a percentage of the time you won't. Um, but uh, certainly you have to have a very good understanding of, of the thoroughbred animal. I mean, you've got to have a feel for what it's going to look like. And the more time you spend around them, probably the more you pick up, pick up uh, little bits and pieces along the way that, that, that help you to get it right. Or yeah, right. certainly reduce, the, reduce some of the luck involved.
0: I, uh, I did a bit of research and I, I saw that you bought the mother of schnitzel. Yes. This is right. So this would be a feather in your cap, obviously another one. But I mean, what, what stood out about that, that, um, that, that horse as a yearling? And then what, how did you, oh, no one ever knows she's going to produce schnitzel, but how would you say that this is a, this is a one and this is, what, what attributes
1: did she have that sort of took it to the next level? She wasn't very big um, by snippets, uh, who was – even I think he was probably a relatively young sire at the time. Um, She wasn't very big. She had a beautiful pedigree. Uh, I was buying for a client who'd already had a Group 1 winner with me uh, who owned Arigen, a man called Francois Nord. And uh, he wanted to buy another one at Easter and within a budget – we selected her and I selected her and um, she went on to win twice at listed level and she won the what's now the uh, Arrowfield Stud Stakes. I think it was the Sapphire Stakes at Randwick um, and proceeded to be a wonderful broodmare. Uh, extraordinary, really. I mean, she was only a little thing. She wouldn't have been 15, two hands high.
0: Really? Yeah. Uh, Amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, which is why I think,
1: which is why she went to reduce choice. We were trying to get some size in there, and um, and uh, that obviously worked. and uh, And she went back to him a few times, but but uh, all her yearlings made a lot of money. and Francois ended up racing Hinchinbrook because, sadly, in the COVID year, Snippet Slash died foaling Hinchinbrook. Okay. Yep. I think she had a bad dose of uh, the COVID year. What's it? Called? What was it called? The EIE. 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 Two thousand eleven. So she was quite sick when she foaled him, and and uh, didn't survive the foaling. So that was sad. But uh, Francois kept Inch and I think he retained a lot of shares when he went to stud. So in the end, it was a great result for him. And uh, and Snip Snippet Snitzel, obviously, um, it's been a fabulous stallion for a long time, and still is.
0: Outside before I introduce um, James, the other half of Mitchell Bloodstock, outside of having a great pedigree and obviously looking for that for you know to breed with later on, what was sort of the one or two key points about that horse that said okay we want to buy it maybe outside your budget as well being at Easter? What was the one or two key points about that horse that said okay I want to buy you Snipper slash Yes,
1: I think she was a fast looking, uh, very strong, look ready to go although she didn't race till she was three as it turned out. Um, but uh, she she just looked a runner, and yep. uh, she had had the pedigree that said that uh, there was nothing extraordinary going on there. I mean, anyone could have bought us. I, I would have think quite a lot of people would have bypassed her because she was a bit small. But um, I never minded buying smallish fillies. You yeah, know, okay. had a lot of luck with them along the way.
0: Okay. James Mitchell, the other half of Mitchell Bloodstock. Let's just talk about um, how you got involved in the game outside of being a family of it, mm. um, and how you sort of found your way to uh, to where you are now. Let's let's just delve into that a little bit.
2: Well, I always certainly had a passion for the horse and and spent a lot of time in the stables and, and going to track work when I when I could. Uh, so you know, horses are always very close and uh, and very much an interest. Uh, went to boarding school where you can't really do a lot, out, you know, in in the industry, and finished school, and went straight up to Yarraman to sort of as much work out if I did want to get involved or what I did want to do, and also sort of it was a it was a gap year of sorts, and and played a bit of footy up there as well, um, and and sort of was just working it out as I went along. at uh, That stage, sort of committed to the horse racing game after. Sort of a few years out of school, and thought, you know, this is certainly my passion. This is my interest. You know, extremely lucky to have um, some some good influences in the game as well. Obviously, so just went about it from there. Um, Marcus Oldham was was just a, an option, and I thought, well, let's let's
0: start here and see where it takes us. So, for sorry to butt him. So, 40 young kids out there. There's going to be a lot of people that are 18 to sort of 22 that sure. want to get in the game. Yep. Um, how did you find Marcus as in to, to actually go, I want to go there? And then from that, what are the sort of? You know, what doors had opened that probably weren't open already?
2: Yeah, funnily enough, a lot of mates of mine from school were going to Marcus to do the other courses, the ag courses. Um, and that's sort of how I heard about it at first and then did a bit of homework and realised there was an equine management program um, and signed up for that, got accepted, which was great, and uh, and headed down to Geelong. To, uh, to embark on that year. Um, that actually comes with a couple of external placements and I, I was lucky enough to end up at Waikato Stud for mine and uh, and was offered a job pretty much straight off the back of doing two weeks there. So once I'd finished up at Marcus, I, I hopped on a plane and went straight back to the Waikato Beautiful. and uh, worked under Gary and, and well, Mark Chittick mainly. He's running the farm now and Doing an amazing job, um, and sort of yeah, realised working with the quality of horses that i did there that this was certainly something I was keen to continue on with, um, and spent just under two years in New Zealand before
0: coming back
2: and getting the uh, internship with Inglis. So, so that working was,
0: uh, working on the two farms, I mean that's something. I, look, I went to Marks as well and spent a lot of time Magic Millions and mm. did yearling inspections, but working on the farm and seeing these horses one be born and it yep. go through their paces, what what. I mean, that's, that's something I wish I did. I haven't never done. But yeah. for
2: yourself, how much do you learn out of that? Oh, look, you certainly learn a lot. You learn, firstly, how to fold them down and how to care for them in their first couple of days of, of life when they are very vulnerable. And then you sort of see them develop and furnish through that sort of very mature stage into starting to look yeah. a bit more like a horse. And then growing up into the time when you wean them. And you start to see their personalities and see their nature and then obviously bring them in for a yearling prep. And that's when you really start to see the horses develop. And as I say, as much as they develop physically, it's about seeing traits in them mentally and, and how they behave. And and certainly just just in general, you know, what sort of feel they give you. It, it, is, a, it is a feel industry, I say sometimes. Well, you've got to get a feel for an animal and, and particularly when you're hands on with them, it, uh, it's certainly much easier to do that. And um, and yeah, certainly it's it's invaluable when I look at horses now, seeing them. What you know, weanlings particularly, you've got to see what they're going to be down the track, and yeah, that certainly helps that time on a on a stud
0: like Waikato particularly. Some of the stallions you work with, and then what um, you know, what they left. I I, um, Listen to uh, what Billy was talking about before, just how they they stamp them. Yeah. Um some of the good stallions you work with in Waikato. Talk us about how something stamps them and what what that actually means. Because I mean obviously sure. the people listening to the show are going to say what, what does stamp mean?
2: Yeah, look, obviously spending those to that time at Waikato stud, the uh the two dominant stallions there, O'Reilly was just finishing up, but he'd been yes. the dominant stallion. And they were pretty good natured, generally a, a solid line of of brown horses with with a good hind quarter and sort of you know, pretty easy to deal with. Uh, Pins followed on, who was quite similar. They had good natures, you know, a nice lineup, pretty good-legged and and reasonably easy to deal with. Um, before I started dealing with the Savibils, yeah. And they certainly, uh, while they're amazing horses and he's an amazing stallion, they certainly picked up a few of Savabils' father's, Abils' traits. They could be a little difficult to work with and, and certainly you had to be on your toes with them. But again, it's all part of learning how to handle horses. I think they made me a better horseman for having worked with them. And um, yeah, look, that, they're athletic horses. They've got lovely length and quality about them, but just keep you on your toes. And um, yeah, I think that's what makes them, part of what makes them such effective racehorses that they are
0: up and going, you know what I mean? So we see the boys around at, um, at the sales, at the sales, and obviously listeners might see Billy and James walking around. What are, the, what are the five things you guys mark down as what the first five things you need to see? Like for myself, it's if it doesn't come out of the box and peel to me, I'll put it back in no matter what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But for you guys being you know, in the game for so long and being so successful, what what are the five things that um, you can tell the listeners
1: what you actually look for? You can take the lead here, Billy. Okay. You've, you've got to be buying an athlete. It's just like a child. You know, if you went down to the local public school and you're looking at a whole bunch of 10-year-old kids, you can... Pretty much predict which ones can run and which ones can't yep, run. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously, that applies to horses as well. I mean, if they're if they're got very crooked legs, you're reducing your chances of getting a sound resource. If they don't have, an, if they don't have the right muscle structure, well, then there's less chance that they're going to be able to run. Um, sprinters are more obvious to look at than. Stay as possibly who develop over more time, but um, yeah. And then you've got to look at the way they their action, whether they, you know, they need to be able to walk almost cat like, and uh, they. And it's not a, it's not always, it's not a in. There's no recipe here. It's 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 just, you know, obviously some horses can run and some can't, and some will look at you, you'll look at and say, well, you don't look like a runner to me, but. In 18 months' time, it'll be out there winning Mm. big races. But (laughs) but it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, Clearly, some people have an excellent eye for buying good race horses, and I guess a lot of people don't. But um, there's always a horse for everyone. And and, um, if you can reduce the odds of, if you can increase your odds of buying a good horse, well, it's very important. And uh, that's what we try to do. I don't think I have a, a set plan when I walk into a horse sale so as you say some horses some horses probably won't even get looked at on pedigree because there's so many horses in a sale now that you actually don't have time to look at 1200 horses in in 4 days before the sale starts and that's what you got to do so we will you know we're buying in certain areas and and we we have to you know have to get the get our ducks in a row so that we're ready to bid on the horses that we're going to bid on, and we bid on a lot of horses that we don't buy. Yes. You know, you just get blown away in this strong market, and you you have budget restraints, and and uh, <coughs> excuse me, if somebody else is out there with more money, well they're going to own the horse and you're not. That's just the way. Yeah, that's just free markets. Um, so yeah, I mean you look for attractive fillies, and you look for colts that. You know, hopefully, can remain entire and not have to be gelded, but 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 an awful lot of them do have to be gelded or end up being gelded because they're not good enough to to go to stud.
0: On gelding, let's let's talk about one of your um one of your better uh, better horses that got gelded, Kenwood Melody. Talk about the difference. So before he was obviously when when he was still a colt, and then what he was doing around the stable. Like he wasn't a big gross horse, from what I understand, but. He um he was just a boy, He was a bit like Jimmy and Wade, um in the <laughs> early days. So what 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 sort of got you one to him and then what was the difference in the horse to make him that group one champion that he was?
1: Well, he was a he was a terror. I mean, as a cult, he was from day one was a troublesome little cult, screaming, aggressive, um, <clears throat> and he was a funny he wasn't he was a beautiful looking horse, but he was quite Narrow in front, but the best part of him, when he walked away from you, he had this huge peachy ass on him. It was, you know, magnificent. Mm. Muscle tone, muscle definition, strong. And, um, well, he got he got beaten in a race and we basically… At Gosford, right? Was it at Gosford, yeah, he got right. beaten. And, and um, even though that horse went on to be pretty good that beat him, I think it was Marty's Magic or something. Wanted want to the lead up his next <laughs> start. But anyway, it was enough for us to… Geld him, and uh, he came back the quietest, kindest, nicest horse, and was never a, a, gave us any trouble from from that moment on. Um, and uh, did he get beaten first up? I think he might have, and then he then he won about four in a row. And
0: Liked a bit of juice in the ground, they tell me. Loved it wet. Yeah, I loved it wet. You were driving down down in a road on the way back oh, to I the way races. To Caulfield Guineas. <laughs>
1: the track was like concrete on Friday and Saturday morning as I was driving down Dandenong Road going to Caulfield for track work, it suddenly just started to pour with rain. I've never been so happy to see <laughs> rain in my life. <laughs> he would have and done pretty well on these last two uh, last two carnivals in Sydney, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he would have loved it. He would have loved it. Sadly, he went off to Hong Kong because he belonged to Hong Kong people and, you know, that's what they want, isn't it? They want something to take there. Yeah, of course. Jimmy, when uh so
0: when you go to the Sales mate, uh, mm. obviously we just heard what your, your father thinks, mm. having a mental like Billy obviously is a big help, but you've still got to have your own opinion. Sure. In my view. So you say you're a bit of a feel guy as well. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have the data as well, like a lot of people do? Do you sort of you know do you say a history of say five years of brewbers, what they what they've thrown, or is it all in the memory bank? Um oh. those kind of things. And what is your feel? Yeah, a lot of a lot of it is, you know, we will do
2: some stats work, particularly, you know. Category work going back a few generations, just to see what's worked and what sort of particularly around distance profiles and things like that. Um, obviously, there's there's nicks and crosses which you know people love and don't like. We've got a few of them, but realistically, it is it is physical first for us. You know, yes. the horse, as you said before, the horses step out of their box, and you you pretty you know pretty quickly whether you want to see it for very long, mm. and then once you decide use something about the horse you like, then you go into more physical attributes and, and whatever else, the action, just the, the nature, the quality, quality, I should say. Um, yeah, so it, it is it is the whole package and you get a feel for it, but you certainly have to be quite strict on your confirmation and, you know, you walk see a horse walk away from you. As Bill said, Ken and Melody had that lovely peachy bum. Well, we like to see that. You like to see some good width in the hocks and mm. things like that. There are, there are several... Traits And look, these are things which everyone, I think, starts off looking at and, yeah. then, and then it does come down to your more specific details and, and what what you think might give you some sort of edge. A horse walking towards
0: you or away from you? What's more important to you?
1: It's a good oh, question. I, I don't think I'd pick one or the other there. I, I think it's, um, it's 50, important 50, 50, that, that, you know, I mean, if your horse toes out – significantly or has a significantly offset knee or offset knees, well, it's just adding – it adds pressure Risk. on the joints. And, yep. and it's uh, – you know, the mechanics aren't aren't quite right. You know, they're not as – fundamentally, they won't be as sound. So – and, of course, there are always the exceptions.
0: Well, what do you forgive? I mean, there's a lot of trainers – I learned a fair bit off Gerald Ryan when I first started, and he, he his biggest lesson to me was – Go wherever you wherever you're based, He said, "Go to the just go to the winner's circle and look at their legs in front." Mm. And he said, "Just tell me which one's perfect and how many how many aren't." So, mm. being a trainer as well, and also yourself, Jimbo, growing up, uh, obviously growing up at Yarram, and also being white cattle and
1: seeing them fall down. Mm. What do you forgive the most? What's if you're a trainer, once the horse walked in your stable door, I mean, it's nothing. There's nothing you can do about its confirmation. Correct, I yep. mean, if, if Basically, you forget about it. Mm. You just get on and train that horse. And sure, some might you might have to be more patient with for that reason. But but essentially, you just get on and train the horse. And there's every trainer will tell you there's been lots of horses walk in that, that they didn't purchase, weren't involved in the purchase of. And often they'd walk in and you go, oh, hello, what hope have we got here? But mm. <laughs> so often, those horses were good horses. Yeah. So often. But, and, but uh, as an agent – because now,
0: now working on the other side as an agent knowing that your what what you choose is going to go to a John Thompson or or whoever it's going to go to what, what do you forgive the most? Um, toe out,
1: toe in, offset knees, you know? I don't love offset knees. I try to keep away. I mean, I I actually grade an offset knee. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a one, two or three when you write OS on the page. Yeah. It, and then I put one, two or three after it because if it's a three, it's very offset. If it's one, it's marginally offset. I'd live with one. Yeah, okay. I probably don't want to live with two yeah, or three. It. Okay, perfect. Mm. And you, Jimbo? Yeah, look, I'd... Pretty much the
2: same. You know, if you see a slightly offset knee, but the horse as it walks seems to actually still be quite fluent on it. Yes. It doesn't look to affect any of its lower limbs or anything like that. Um, you know, there's 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 things to forgive. Um, you know, you see a horse that's walking away from you. You know, you'd like to see that with the hocks. If they're too close in the hocks, mm. it's probably going to stop us from having a really good look at it or personally. Um,
0: yeah. What what stops it so being close behind, what is it? it Obviously just, not sickle hocks, but what, what is it when they're close behind? Well, sort of, what I, do you feel? I just feel like they're not going to be really
2: using themselves with that sort of much extension as well, and they just don't seem to land their foot on the ground as firmly and with as much, you know. To grip in and uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Pressure, exactly. I would use the word, yeah. Yep. Um, so that's that's certainly something which we like to see is some good width in their hocks, and, and again, that leads up to a, hopefully a nice peachy bum.
0: I was talking to Corey Brown uh, a little while back, and he, uh, I said, "What's you know, when you ride a horse, what's the one thing you look for?" Because you don't care about confirmation; you've got to sit on their back. And yeah. and his big thing to me, he said, "Man, if you have got big floppy ears, he said, I've never had, rode a bad horse with big floppy ears." So, I mean, for you guys growing up on the you know on the farms and so forth, how many floppy ears have you seen been bad? I it's interesting.
2: It's a it's a comment I think you hear quite regularly. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, working at Inglis, I, I knew several of the agents there who'd who'd make comments on you know big ears, and it would be a Tick, tick for them, which, uh, to, to name a few horses, I remember Magical Miss who lived at Yammer yeah, yeah, for years yeah. and was a an Oaks winner by Dane Hill, as we know. She had the biggest set of beers you've ever seen. Yep. So maybe there is some some truth to it or some value behind it. Personally, I don't tend to make comments on it that regularly unless it was something which really blew you away. Yeah, of course, yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not something that I've ever really had a whole lot of, you know, necessarily uh, – Care for yeah, when I'm yeah. trying to buy a
0: horse, Billy. You uh, you helped set up Sedgemoor. Talk us about the sort of how that sort of uh, I suppose happened. Uh, was was about three or four years after you finished training, and then what were the process say of, of buying the first fifty mares there that um, has created what what Segino is down today? Really.
1: Um, well, yeah, I went there as the racing manager, but um, Royston Murphy and I. Royston was the farm manager, general manager, and and uh, Kevin Maloney was wanting to set set up a broodmare band and and establish a brand for said you know which was which was an established brand but he wanted to uh, take it up to a new level and um, it was a it was very good timing because the market was pretty flat at that point, um, 10, 11 years ago and flat certainly compared to now and we had a. Reasonably open checkbook to go and buy high quality mares, and um, which which Royston and I did. And we bought probably 30, 30 mares, and then there was a lot of resources, quite a lot of fillies that came through. Um, and um, yeah, it ended up uh, you know, it took, takes five, or six years before you start to understand how your how your broodmares are going to go. But there were certainly a lot of very, very good broodmares that said, you know, and still are. And it's an, it's a it's an incredible farm for breeding winners. And um, Kevin still to this day got one of the best broodmare bands in the country. So. Yeah, we we were in a pretty strong position when something came on the market, either privately or or at auction. We were in a pretty strong position at that time to be buying mm. it.
2: Hurdle Myrtle and Sister Madly eloping, kept
1: girl girl the dam in
2: secret, girl secret. There was a it was a fantastic list of mares to have bought, and yeah. um, they've really done the job for Sedgemoor. Yeah.
0: I think you really measure a man's success by the legacy he leaves behind. Uh, I think of the days when you had John Thompson, Peter Moody, and now we will see your son, James. Um, what are say the attributes those three have that um, you believe you've given to them or, or helped you know, help show them, I suppose? And then as for the next person coming along that uh, wants to be a trainer, bloodstock agent, farm manager, whatever it is in the game that um, this great industry gives us, what's your one or two bits of advice for them?
1: And then I we get on the James. I always say to anyone, "What's the most important thing?" And I think it applies to life and and most businesses. It's attention to detail. You in in a horse racing stable or in the bloodstock industry. I mean, if you haven't got a good attention to detail, things will start to go wrong around you, and uh, it's it's so important. And that, and that goes for attention to detail with the animals, attention to detail with your business, attention to detail with the way you run your stables you know cleanliness every little thing counts yeah. so you've just got to be on top of everything all the time and and uh, you know you are only as strong as your weakest link aren't you so everything's got to be right
0: and what did uh, what did, so mean? Peter Mood obviously a champion trainer now and John Thompson well on his way to being a great trainer what were those attributes those
1: those boys had when were under you? Oh, they were great they were you know they were both my foreman for quite a long time and and um and they were certainly um, as good a two foreman as 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 I had, and there were other good ones as well but um phenomenal work ethic yeah. phenomenal work ethic never once did you have to say. You know, I'm in, I'm away, and I'm, I never had to worry that the stable wasn't being run properly, and that, that, that they, you know, they weren't right on top of things going on. And and there's a good reason why they were stable foremen at a young age because they were they were good leaders, people worked well under them, um, and. Uh, they they were going places in the industry before they walked in my door. They were both going somewhere in in, in our industry without a shadow of a doubt. So it's just a matter of I got I got my pound of flesh out of them. Mm, yeah. They worked yeah. well for me yeah, got, on their way yeah. through to setting themselves up. And I'm always happy to see them go on and do well. And have in done my best to help to help anyone that works for me, that's worked for me. Um, you know, I am I still get calls from people that work for me, you know, asking advice or, you mm. know, can I give them – can I introduce them? Can I do something? And I'm always happy to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great. Mm. And, James, you – I mean, obviously, you're young. You're only 33, 34, is that 33, right? 33, yep. So, for yourself, I mean, look, 10 years ago you were probably in a position a lot of other kids are. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your bit of advice to them to say, look, go and get your goals, go and achieve them? Um, what's the best way to go about it?
2: Oh, look, certainly I think is uh – uh is probably keep your ears open and your mouth shut to a degree. Mm. Really listen um, and try and learn from everyone you speak to, whether it's someone who, you know, you spend a lot of time with or just in passing someone might give you an interesting bit of information which you can take with you. Um, yeah, you know, it's an industry where people are willing to, to give you some advice and have a chat. And I think um, certainly best to be listening rather than talking a lot of the time as a, as a young person growing up you'll pick up some great information you'll you'll meet some great people who you know if, if you play your cards right will be influencers you know potentially for a long time in your career going forward and you know it's a deal business so you know you know we don't know where the next deal is coming yeah, from yeah. a lot of the time so yeah just um just be open and and you know have have good manners and yeah just um yeah really really listen i think is, is a key one yeah, of course. That sounds like a relationship, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, you are exactly <laughs> right. Uh, Billy, your number one thing you look for, I take out of this, is you got to find the athlete. Yep. Yep. Jimmy, what's one other thing
2: when looking for a horse, a group one horse? Just look for that quality animal. Just look for the horse that you—it that makes you sort of go, ooh, wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and of it, course. If it's immediate or if it's something which grows on you. But, yeah, just just that horse which you go, you know, and it looks around as much as you do going, I'm pretty Have hot shit here yeah. you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about them and God we'll get them wrong as much as we get them right realistically but um, we've certainly certainly been going okay anyway which is which is good
0: gentlemen it's an absolute honour to uh, speak to you both I really really appreciate the time uh, to be on At The Track With Osher oh, no worries boys that's it for At The Track With Osha. if you like the show hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen thanks to Billy and James Mitchell for joining me on the show boys thank you much appreciated. If you'd like to get in contact or find out more about horse ownership, look up Mitchell Bloodstock or the theoshergroup.com. We'll get back to you with more. Great guests. We'll see you very soon. Thanks, boys. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group.